The following podcast is brought to you by Astro Panda Productions. For more information or to find other great shows, visit astropandaproductions.com or visit the Astro Panda Productions page on blogtalkradio.com. Geekishcast, episode 169, Mark Zickery of Space Command, and just about every other sci-fi series you've ever seen. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor and introduce our guest. Hey everybody, it's Jeremy back uh, here, getting close to Christmas time. Thank you all for listening to Geekish Cast. Um, we have a quickly put together guest today um, that we're trying to squeeze in before the holidays, because his series Space Command's for first Kickstarter is kind of coming to an end here pretty quickly, and we want to make sure we get in and talk about that before time runs up. So let me introduce real quickly Mark Zickery. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. Glad to be here, Jeremy. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I know we had to kind of two-step to get you in here, but I appreciate you taking the time. No, it's great. I always love talking about, about, about myself, yeah. <laughs> so it should be great fun. There's never a better topic, right? No, never, never. Yeah, well, let's um, let's cover this real quick since the 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 clock is counting down on your Kickstarter. You you've got your first episode of your series, Space Command, is on Kickstarter right now. You've hit all your goals except the last one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, basically, we started an initial campaign to raise the money that got us going. So uh, I I did that uh, a little while ago and and uh, and then sold investment shares to the backers, and that gave us enough money to shoot the first two hour pilot of Space Command with many of my my favorite actors and favorite TV stars and so forth, you know, Doug Jones and Bob Picardo and all these wonderful science fiction actors, and, and also Mike Harney from Orange is the New Black and John Hennigan, Hennigan from Glow and so forth. And um, and this is the, this is the campaign for visual effects and post production, all the kind of stuff that you come out the other end of shooting and you still have to do. And particularly with science fiction, the visual effects have to look good. They can't look, you know, uh, like you had your your cousin Eddie do them with it with a with a cardboard box, you know, and you know, and sparkles coming out the back. I mean, Flash Gordon was great in the day, but uh, that's I think the audience might be a little bit critical yeah, of that now. Th- that was almost a hundred years ago. And if, mm-hmm. and if anybody saw Justice League, you know what happens when you cut corners on the special effects budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because there are shows that have really good – shows and movies that have really good visual effects. Battlestar Galactica was great, and, and um, Blade Runner 2049, I think I thought, looked really good. But but, um, but then you get to things like Justice League and some of these movies, and some people may love them or, and some people not. But, but there's an overabundance of visual effects and you just have a sense almost like you're watching an animated cartoon and uh, and that takes you out of the action out of the story yeah sometimes it, it yeah absolutely i don't want to fight that because there's a lot of old sci-fi like you're saying that there's a charm to the, some of the clumsiness yeah. but you're right yeah. in, in modern cinema we've gotten used to right. the effect of the effectiveness i guess would yeah be and, and, and i think and i think also when people are watching old science fiction movies and tv shows like the original star trek you know, they, they they kind of are aware of of the evolution of of, of visual effects, and they know that that Wizard of Oz, for instance, is not going to look like you know uh, Star Wars or you know the the one that's coming out in a few weeks. Right. So they say that's fine. I mean, yes, the flying monkeys are on wires. Fine. Okay, we'll we'll we'll, we'll let them we'll let that one go. So. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's a word I kept coming across when reading your descriptions of Space Command on both your webs. Oh, I'm sorry. Where can people find your Kickstarter? If they go to kickstarter.com and look up Space Command Redemption, they'll be able to find it. Okay. So you've got, I think, another $7,500 you're trying to raise and another eight days as we record this to do it. Um, looks like you're on a pretty good pace to hit all your goals, though. Yes, I hope so. And, and again, every little bit helps. Every You know, it's funny because... Uh, you know, it's it's amazing how even a little bit of money can can get that much closer to where we're, where we're going. And uh, my team's working very hard. My visual effects guys, my my composer, my sound effects guy. Um, we've we've been putting together you know the first thirty minutes of Space Command of the two hours. And I, there's there's some breathtaking stuff in there. And the acting, of course, is is just terrific. I'm very pleased with the storyline and and with our actors. I mean, Doug Jones, the fact that he's in Shape of Water and Star Trek Discovery, and he's one of our leads, is uh is just amazing. I'm I'm blown away by it. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's um, before we talk about your actors, though, let's talk about um, I, I keep seeing the word optimism come up in your descriptions yeah. of Space Command. Um, tell us a little bit about Space Command and then tell us how optimism fits into the story. I'm really glad you asked that question, because I think that optimism has gotten a bad rap in recent years. You know, cynicism has been um, sort of the, the in thing and, and shows are supposed to be edgy and dark. But I think that there's a, a mistake in that because if, unless you have optimism, unless you're willing to create a hopeful fi- a vision of the future, uh, something that we can all build and actually create that's going to be worth living in, uh, what are you left with? You know, you, if you just sort of, sort of bail on things, it, it, you know, chaos ensues. And I know in my own life, love and compassion have been, have been active forces that have made my life worth living. And when I'm loving and, and kind to others, it makes the world better. It makes the world work. And, and I think people generally are kind if you give them the opportunity. So Space Command basically um, takes place in the future. It, it starts 60 years from now. It covers 150 years in the lives of three families as we colonize the solar system and jump to the stars. And it basically – the whole no- notion is that um, if you reach out to others, if you, if you have the courage – to be brave and to be kind and to see other people, even if they're different from you, as being the same as you, uh, you, know, you can all survive and, and create something that's, um, that's, that's good for everyone. And so, and I think this is a, not only, of course, commenting on the future, but it's commenting on, a, on the present in a very important way. And I know for, for myself that when the original Star Trek came out when I was a kid, it was during the Vietnam War. It was during the Civil Rights Movement. The cities around across America were burning to the ground in riots. And yet, Star Trek said we will have challenges, but we can also create something better. And I, I strongly believe that as a, as a message for now and for the future. Yeah. Um, there, there are things that I, – I wasn't born yet when Star Trek was on the air as I stumble over my words to get this out. But there are things I discovered later as a Star Trek fan who didn't have some of the historical context. Things like the Enterprise incident was actually based off of a boat that was kind of swept up in and almost held hostage off the coast of Vietnam during the Viet, uh, yeah. Vietnam War. Things like that. Yes. Yeah. It was it, Star Trek was commenting on on the on its its own time very directly, but but again, because it's science fiction, you don't have to know that context to really still be able to enjoy it. Same with the Twilight Zone. I wrote the Twilight Zone companion, and uh, and Rod Serling wanted to comment about his world, but he was censored when he was trying to write mainstream fiction on things like Playhouse ninety. So he went into science fiction to be able to comment uh, powerfully, and and he did very very. Um, uh, oh, absolutely. Even Dune was kind of a social commentary on oil. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 And and but again, it's with, see that's where where science fiction is so wonderful because if you're commenting specifically about your moment directly overtly in mainstream fiction, it becomes dated very quickly. But if you're using it as a metaphor within science fiction, then our, as our lives change and as the world changes, so, good science fiction, great science fiction stays every bit as current. You know, Ray Bradbury was a dear friend of mine and a mentor. And the Martian Chronicles is, a, and Fahrenheit 451, for God's sake, you can read those now, and 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 they're every bit as relevant now as they were when he wrote them in the 1950s. In some ways, they feel a little more relevant right now. Yes, my God, sure. I mean, we we are certainly in perilous times, and uh, and and the people steering our, our ship of state are uh, driving on the reefs. Uh, I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, political opinions, but but I think one needs to really be. Um, mindful of creating damage and with global warming with so many things that we need to really pull together and 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 work toward you know dealing with to just uh march into the past into some fictional past and uh you know and do what some of the people are doing is is it is alarming and yeah. uh but you know I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's, that's actually very heartening to me um i mentioned that some of the uh the Space Command um, Kickstarter backers became investors in Space Command, and one of them, I, I flew, I had a number of them come out to a Comic Con. We had a panel at Comic Con, and I took them out to dinner. And then the next day, one of them who couldn't make it that night came. I, I had lunch with him, and and he was a Trump supporter. Now I'm of course a liberal, but he was still investing in Space Command because he's got a son and he believes in creating a hopeful future. And we may disagree on politics, but there, get, there comes a point where just on a human level, you can come together despite politics. And I think that's very important to remember that we can all work toward good outcomes despite our, our who we vote for and I you know and that gives me hope and that that is important so I was I was moved uh, very much when he told me who he'd voted for sure that that was very meaningful to me right um, yeah and, you know I don't usually talk a lot about politics on here but there is an amount of tribalism that has actually passed up ideology and idealism that's yeah. gotten involved in our we seem to vote for our team even if we know our team's wrong in some cases you it's know? a shame yeah, it's a shame, but but again, I think at 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 core, people are basically good. You know what I mean? And oh like, yes, yeah. I absolutely you know, agree. And I think, I think, I think people, you know, if they have a choice to follow someone leading um, toward something good, they'll, they'll they will. And I think, um, you know, I mean, elections come and go. And I mean, I I remember Nixon for God's sake, but <laughs> you know, we got past him. But um, you know, but so so, but with Space Command, I'm I'm really not dealing with political ideology so much as just common humanity and and, and humanity can, can embrace synthetic humans as well. I mean, Doug Jones plays a synthetic human and, and he mounts a liberation movement and uh, and one of our characters has to decide what side of that equation he's going to be on. Actually, several characters do. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating story and it's fun to explore humanity through that lens. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Well, that's awesome. So your goal is to do multiple two-hour episodes is, is your release plan for the show as a whole. Well, my... My, my goal is to sell as a TV show and um, oh, okay. to do a twelve season, a twelve episode season, and then go on to season two, season three, season four, season five. I've I've, I've, I've written the first eight hours and outlined hours nine through twelve of the first season. And actually, the reason I'm in London right now is I went to the drama summit and I was meeting. There were all these TV executives, so I was meeting with Lionsgate and Sony and BBC and on and on, uh, pitching Space Command as well as well as other shows and getting a very good response. But my idea was. Uh, you know, when I came up with Space Command, a lot of my friends who run network shows said, uh, well, let's let's go in and get a pilot deal. But I didn't want to do that because I knew that they could cut it off at, at script or cut it off at pilot. The audience would never see it and um, or their notes could ruin it and it and they would own it. 
And I thought, uh, let's see if I can if I can reach out to my audience and let's see if my audience can finance the pilot because then I own it. And, and whatever its mm-hmm. fate with these executives, whether it sells or not as a series, the audience can still see it and still – enjoy these performances and enjoy the story and be and be thrilled by it just as I am and I trust my audience more than the executives um, it's been very nice to meet with them and it's been very nice that they've been treating me with, with great respect we've now pulled together the first 30 minutes of Space Command of the two hours that we, sh- we actually shot the first two hour story and 35 minutes of the second two hour story and the opening sequence of the third two hour story we actually have a trailer that shows bits and pieces of all of that, but I've now assembled the first 30 minutes where it's not completed, but it's close enough to completion where I can show it to these executives. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. But but I'm not counting on them or waiting on them to move forward. And that's why I'm doing the crowdfunding campaign so that we can finish that first 30 minutes, send that to the backers. They can see what we're doing and then finish the next 30 minutes and so on to the full two hours and then shoot the rest of the second story and so forth. So in a way, I'm blazing a trail with a new model where the, the, the creator of a show um, is in a direct relationship with his audience, and they fund him. And uh, I think this is the future of television, quite frankly. Yeah, there's a friend of mine who's an actor in Canada, and we, we discussed this on our episode recently, where he thought that ownership of content is really the direction for a creator to go. Yes. Like, like you're saying, if you don't own it, or if you know you get a pilot deal, they can note you to death or do whatever, and it's not your vision anymore. It's not even your property. But if you do something like you're doing, you keep your fingers in the pie the whole time. Yes. I mean, the, the, the challenge is, though, that with the, the networks and the studios now being owned by the same companies, uh, they insist, if you sell a show to them, that they then own it. And mm-hmm. that's, that can be a, a big problem. You know, so, um, you know, that, that is, that is a, a downside of working with the networks. I, I'm starting to wonder, and we'll see if this is just me being harebrained or whatever, but, you know, back in the 1990s, comic book creators suddenly asserted their authority and ownership over their properties. I wonder if we're headed that direction with the uh, visual arts as well, you know, like movies and TV. The, o- the only way to do that is if the audience directly funds the work mm-hmm. because the and the networks, at least in America, it's very different in, 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 in Europe. In, in England and in Europe, um, the, uh, the owner of a show owns the copyright. This is the exact opposite of how it works in America. In America, the studio and the network own the copyright of a show. It didn't used to be that way. When Rod Serling created Twilight Zone, he owned the show, mm-hmm. and CBS had to buy it from him. But uh, but when they be- it used to be illegal for studios and networks to be owned by the same parent company. When Reagan came into power, he swept all of that away, and that's how you get Time Warner and all these huge uh, monolithic companies. And uh, and they and they insist they will not they will not buy a show or a movie unless you give them the copyright. It's uh, it's a shame that it works that way, but that is how it works. And uh, so again, you know, one has to be mindful of what game one's playing. And uh, and that's again why I've gone the route I've gone. It's not so much for ownership as for control of the of the of the work. And um, you know, I mean, money is nice, and I certainly am not. You know, if someone pulls up with a truck with a million dollars in it, I'm not going to you know say, well, you know, go down the street and stay here. But um, but money isn't what drives me. Uh, oh sure. Creative. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't mean to make that implication. I was just. Oh no. Uh, yeah. No, it's fine. Okay. And that's not how I took it either. It's just that. It's just that I think that at the end of the day, you have to say, well, if I really want control, what what am I willing to trade for that? And so, and that's why I've gone this route with Space Command very deliberately, um, because the moment, well, you know, it's sort of like if I had gone to the network and said, well, I want Doug Jones and Robert Picardo and Mira Furlan and Bill Mooney from Babylon Five, all these you know, the actors that I've cast. They wouldn't have let me have these actors. They wouldn't these actors were. And they would have insisted on someone who's just starred in some show on the CW who can't act. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, 
they're you know it's a, it's an offer you can't refuse if they're if they're writing checks and um and 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 I don't mean to mouth the networks because you know the vast majority of what I've written for ha, for has been for the networks and for the studios and I've been very lucky that I've had very good network executives over over time and and they let me do what I wanted to do but um but you can't always count on that and um you know so in this case I didn't want to roll the dice for that. I can understand that. Hey, do you mind if we uh, we get into your writing background a little bit? Because you, you have quite the um, quite the history of. Well, let's <laughs> let's start with this, Mark. When when you were young, Mark Zachary, when did you fall in love with writing and storytelling? Oh gosh, from back as far as I can remember. I mean, my favorite book when I was seven was Farmer in the Sky by Robert Heinlein. I was reading science fiction and comic books and watching TV and watching movies voraciously from as far back as I can remember. I, when I was a kid, I loved Ray Harryhausen and George Pal and Star Trek and Twilight Zone, the original Outer Limits, on and on. I mean, just I just devoured all of it. And I was reading DC comics, Marvel, and Gold Key comics, and and the, and the and the science fiction literature, you know, Heinlein and Asimov and Bradbury and Ted Sturgeon and everybody, Arthur C. Clarke. And um, so I knew as a kid that I'd either be an artist or, or, or a writer, a visual artist. I was drawing and painting and sculpting as well as writing. And um, I got my art degree in painting, sculpture, and graphic arts. But then when I was 19, I sold my first short story. I went to the Clarion Writers Workshop, which was the leading science fiction writing workshop uh, in the country. And, um, and then by the time I got out of college, I knew I wanted to write or produce. wrote The Twilight Zone Companion, first of all, because I loved the show, secondly, so I could learn how to write and produce television because there were no classes in it. And um, and so by the time I was 22 or 23, I was writing for network TV. That's amazing. Um, you've written for some, well, if, if you've seen a genre show in the last 25, 30 years, it looks like you've written at least one episode of it. Babylon 5, a couple of the Star Trek spinoffs. Um, is there right. is there a show that you wanted to write for that you didn't get a chance to? That might be a shorter list to cover. Yeah, I would have loved to have written for, for Battlestar Galactica, the recent one. That would oh, have been yeah. great fun. I have, I have many friends who worked on the show, but just the timing of things just it didn't um, come about. But and and that's see part of the problem is that when I came up in television, uh, you could be on staff as I was many times, but you could also freelance. It's mm -hmm. much, they have very few freelance slots now, and so they hire their entire writing staff, and then they they basically you know lockdown for a year during the season, it's a very different model. It doesn't allow as much input or as much new blood. It's a shame, I think. But Battlestar Galactic had a terrific writing, uh, uh, writing staff, and, and the actors were great. My friend Michael Nathan was one of the directors on it. And I know Ron Moore, of course, who, who basically created that version of the show. And uh, it was phenomenal. And uh, but but you know that that was one that got away. But my God, I got to write for so many of the shows I loved. And 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 not long ago, I did a new Star Trek episode with George Takei, and I never thought I'd get to write for Sulu. And so to be able to do that was um, was just the thrill of a lifetime. It was it was terrific. I, I had I had such a great time. Now was that on New Voyages? Is that what you wrote? Yeah. For? Okay. Yeah. I I have my own YouTube channel called Mr. Sci-Fi, and you can actually go and watch wow. that entire episode. It's called Star Trek New Voyages, World Enough in Time, and it's a full hour-long episode with George Takei. We did it about 10 years ago, yeah. and uh, it was nominated for the Hugo and Nebula Awards, the top awards in science fiction, won the TV Guide Award. We beat, we beat Battlestar Galactic for that one. And um, But yeah, and my friend Christina Moses, I cast her as Sulu's daughter. She'd never done TV or film, just stage. And... Uh, and as a result of that, J.J. Abrams put her on a talent deal, and now she's starring in the originals, and she's about to star in a new show called Condor, and she's going to be in Space Command as well. I've already written that script that she's uh, that she's going to star in. Oh, outstanding. Well, let's cover that a little bit, because you actually have, like, 
the royalty almost of sci-fi acting in your show. There are so many people in there, and I don't know if you can actually do a sci-fi series anymore without Doug Jones in it. Um, but you you do have him. <laughs> yeah, yes, but we but we show his face. You know everything else. You, you know, he's playing under a creature makeup, Shape of Water, oh, Star sure. Trek Discovery, Falling Skies. You'd have no idea. He could walk by you on the street. You wouldn't know. But that's uh, that's not quite true because I've met Doug Jones. Um, he is abnormally tall. Yes, he is. Very he is. thin. And, and he always and grabs it, you by the face. <laughs> and he always has a hold of somebody by the face. Yes, and I once said to him, I said, wouldn't it be ironic if you turned out to be typhoid Mary and you were just spreading this new disease all <laughs> around the world by, by grabbing everyone by the face? But he's a, he's a great heart. He's a wonderful guy, and he's got this amazing sensitive face. I, you know, for me, the moment I saw him, I said, well, I'm, I want to show that face. I don't want to cover it up. Mm-hmm. And so he plays a synthetic named Dor Nevin, and, uh, and he has this great you know, uh, adventure throughout the solar system in, in Space Command. And uh, and we, all, we have Bob Picardo from Star Trek Voyager and Stargate Atlantis and Mira Furlan and Bill Mummy and Bruce Boxleitner from Babylon 5 and um, James Hung from Blade Runner and Big Trum- Trouble in Little China and uh, James John Hennigan from Glow. He also wrestled under, under names Johnny Nitro and John Morrison. And uh, we have um, we're gonna we're gonna be having Armin Shimmerman coming up soon, and uh, and as I said, Christina Moses, and 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 I we, I got um, Jeff Ron to here, who's the Federation captain in J.J. Abrams Star Trek, who gets skewered by the Romulan at the beginning of the movie. He's a wonderful actor out of Pakistan and London. And, oh, uh, he was also the bad guy in the first Iron Man movie. Yes, he was. He yeah. was. He's, He's terrific. He's great. And um, we've shot 35 minutes of that second story with him. And um, I've been talking to Rene Aubergenois and, you know, on and on. I just I have a whole list of actors that I'm that I'm planning for Space Command. And but but to have Mira Furlan and Bill Mooney and Bruce Boxleitner together again, this is the first time they'd acted since Babylon 5, which I wrote for. That's amazing. And um, yeah. And Bob Picardo is terrific. And and, you know, and, and Mira, I, she gets to speak Serbo-Croatian. She had cast an actress who, as her daughter, they, the two of them speak Serbo-Croatian when they're together, because she's from the former Yugoslavia, and then when mm-hmm. they're speaking to other people, they speak English, so, so that was great fun. And, uh, yeah, but it's just, you know, it's I, and then and then we had a worldwide talent search for two of our leads, where we got 7,000 inquiries, 1,200 videos. Anyone anywhere in the world could, could pull down the audition scenes and shoot their own video, and we treated it very seriously. We ended up casting nine actors from those auditions, and so, from all, from everywhere, from all over the world. Oh, and uh, So it's been a yeah, it's been a wonderful adventure and uh, and just just phenomenal. Yeah, our lead uh, Ethan McDowell is from Wyoming and he won he won the the lead role as as Captain Jack Cameron. And he's an amazing looking guy and he's a great actor. He's got this great decency of spirit. He's sort of like a, a Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart kind of actor. And I wanted that. It isn't old fashioned, but he's got this decency that really comes through. And he's unlike any other actor uh, working in television today. He's great. Well, that's amazing, um, Mark. I'm going to leave a little spot for me to plug in a commercial right here. But um, when we come back, I want to ask you kind of about the design and look of your show, Space Command, okay? You bet. So we'll be back in one second. All right, everybody, thanks for checking back in with us. Um, we've got Mark Zickery here, creator of Space Command, but he's also written for Star Trek, and he wrote the Twilight Zone Companion. Um, he's written everything, really. But he's got this new series he's working on called Space Command Redemption, um, which yeah. is – how would you describe your show in a, in a short pitch? It's 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 basically about um, a group of people in the future who are thrown together by various circumstances, and they have to basically be there for each other, help each other, help each other survive. It goes over many generations, so you get to see them, their children, their grandchildren, their great grandchildren. You get to see the ripple effect of cause and effect. We jump between generations, so it covers 150 years uh, of a future chronology in our solar system and then beyond. 
out out into the stars and it's this big galaxy spanning story but it's uh it's about the human heart and it's about the human um soul and 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 it's about family and how we build families not just with our our blood relations but with the people we come to care about and and protect um so yeah there's a lot going on here because i mean you're a little bit like a lot of things and you're unlike many things in several different ways um if if we could i'd kind of like to talk about what what the design influences on your show were uh, sure because you've got like rocket ships like out of the buck rogers flash gordon era but other things that are much more modern sci-fi looking what were some of your influences and inputs and desires when you were laying out the look of the universe yeah, well, you know, it's funny because in terms of story, Space Command is very modern and very forward-looking. So it's not it's not tongue-in-cheek or nostalgic in that way at all. It's basically dealing with um, how Muslims are treated terribly in our in our media now. So Bob Picardo plays a Muslim, and it's just an aspect of spirituality. Just like I'm Jewish, I have friends who are Catholic, and I have a friend who's Muslim as mm-hmm. well. And um, but the design aspects, I mentioned that my degree was in painting, sculpture, and graphic arts. So visuals always were very um, had a very powerful influence on me. And I grew up in the, in the 60s and early 70s, uh, and, uh, but, but I would buy used paperbacks that were printed in the 50s. So the, the 1950s look of science fiction had a very strong influence on me. All those great paperback covers and those covers of Galaxy and, and Astounding and Worlds of If and Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, uh, illustrators like Ed M. Schwiller and Wally Wood in EC, in EC Comics and Al Williamson and Frank Frazetta's science fiction illustration back then when he was drawing for EC Comics, weird, weird science fiction and so forth. And, uh, and then and TV shows like Space Patrol, which was a live TV show in the 1950s. So And the movies of George Pal, all of that stuff, Forbidden Planet, all that had a huge influence on me in terms of design. And I thought it was such a great design aesthetic that had not been utilized in movies recently. And... Um, you know, it was sort of, we're sort of in the, in the post-Star Wars era and, and, and post-2001, um, et cetera. And so I wanted to go back to that. I wanted to have a little bit of that in our design um, style. And I thought it would set us apart, which it definitely does. And, and my friend Ian McKay, who designed Darth Maul and Queen Amidala and Rey in For- The Force Awakens, et cetera, he, um, uh, he's our character designer in Star Wars. And, and I'm sorry, in Space Command. <laughs> he's the Star Wars guy. But, careful, um, careful. <laughs> yeah, but but I but I said to him, I want. I, so he's been designing our characters, and particularly for the uniforms of Space Command, which don't look like anyone else's uniforms. I, I said, I don't want Star Wars. I don't want Star Trek. I want something entirely fresh. And he designed something that's great, but it also has a dashing quality. When you mentioned Flash Gordon, it has a little bit about of, of that too. And um, so the, so the challenge, of course, is having something that 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 does look forward looking, that does look like it might be be tomorrow, but. Um, but also is, is aware of our, our where we come, where we've come from, and you know I think I think that's okay because you know um, when you look at car design from the fifties, things like that with those big tail fins, Cadillacs, those things look great. You know that design aesthetic. You know it, it may not be um, the same as the way cars look now, but I think everyone pretty much anyone with a head, with their head on straight loves those those kind of that design aesthetic. It's very very cool. Oh yeah, early. There's nothing quite like that thirties to probably mid sixties car designs that you would yeah. see. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to rack your brain to come up with a classic car from the 90s when everything was egg-shaped and white, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, so many cars look exactly alike now. I mean, you know, you can't tell them apart unless you look at the hood ornament, you know, the the logo. But but definitely, definitely the the aesthetic. I mean, the science fiction aesthetic and, and the car aesthetic were very, very aligned in terms of from the 30s to the 50s. It was a great period of, de- of design. And, 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 and Alex Raymond, of course, you mentioned Flash Gordon, and his, oh, yeah. his, his artwork was just spectacular. I love looking at I've I've still got original comic strips of his from the 30s, from his Flash Gordon run. 
and his 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 first strip to the last strip he drew, just the jump in his artwork and design style is so amazing. I just love yeah. to like compare the first panel and the last one. I know, amazing. He was well, yeah. He, I went. I, I agree with you. I mean, he just went, you know, by leaps and bounds. He he was a phenomenal artist by the end. I mean, just no one could touch him in the comics. Yeah, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to say too about kind of your traditional style rocket ships is the only way to really simulate gravity we know of is either put people on the ax the same axis as your rocket thrust or to spin a container. Yep. So I think there's a reason that we're still going to be looking at rocket ships in the future. Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because it, the, the cha- there has been a challenge in terms of the technical scientific aspect of Space Command, and I've actually been in very close conversation with that, with, with friends of mine at NASA and JPL and the, the real Space Command, the Air Force Space Command, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I, I had a conversation with, the flight surgeon at at, uh, at the Johnson Space Center about about gravity, you know how you could simulate gravity without without centrifugal. I mean, some of some of the spaceships we'll see will have centrifugal force and all of that, spinning hubs. But uh, and uh, but with 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 Pallet and with our hero ship, I said, well, what can we do that wouldn't be that? And we talked about basically uh, something called a smart suit that simulates a magnetic current with the with the floor, so it basically gives you resistance that that stimulates your muscles. Uh, but isn't isn't centrif- centrifugal force, and yeah. Um, so yeah, so we so there so we actually do cover that base, and then eventually, as we cover the 150 years, we come up with an artificial gravity, but not immediately because that's that's a much farther technology down the line. But uh, we don't have that now, and I don't think we're going to have it soon. Yeah, um, you know, one of the things and I'm going to veer off a of years for a minute. One of my favorite series from the last 30 or 20 some odd years would be Babylon Five. Yeah, I, that yeah. was such a just a, a forward thinking show. Uh, you know, back then, if you said, "Yeah, we're going to do a show where it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end," people would look at you like you're crazy. Yes. Nowadays, that's what everybody's shooting for. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but one of the things they did in the design of that, and I believe Harlan Ellison consulted on it, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. But did. but they basically said we want to base all the technology that the humans have off of stuff we can build right now. Mm-hmm. And spaceships moved like spaceships would actually move. And yeah, it well, was yeah. Well, John John Copeland, who was one of the producers, was a huge aviation uh, nut, and 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 so he so there was a lot of um, attempt to make Babylon Five you know make sense in a way that other science fiction shows hadn't before. Uh, I, I basically developed a show called Captain Power that was a live action science fiction show that Mattel financed, and. Um, and I basically, I basically told him to hire Joe Straczynski. He'd only he'd only done animation, and I said, "Look, I'll back him. He's never done live action, but if he can't do the job as story editor, I'll step in and and do the job." And uh, so Joe was hired, and the two producers were Doug Netter and John Copeland, who he then went on to do Babylon Five with. And mm-hmm. I, of course, was one of the writers on the first season of Babylon Five, one of the other few writers other than Joe. And um, it was amazing to watch those sets being built. In fact, they shot the pilot, and then. Warner's waited a year to greenlight the show. They wanted to air the pilot and see if it did well in the ratings. So by the time they got to doing the show, they'd actually torn down all the sets. So they had to build them from scratch again. So I remember that uh, when I was writing that that script, I, I went in with the um, the, uh, the builders and I got the blueprints. And I said, okay, this is how I'm staging this. Does this fit with what you're building? Because it was all just bare bones at that point. But, um, but that was a wonderful cast as well. And uh, – Andreas Katsalas. I had lunch with him uh, during Babylon 5 when I was a producer on Sliders, and uh, he was an amazing guy. He played he played Jakar on um, oh, yeah. on Babylon 5. He was a wonderful actor, and I'm so glad to have Bill Mummy and Mira Furlan. I, it, it was a, it was a very strong cast as well. I, I it, it was a great show, and uh, and I'm glad that Joe got his five seasons. 
Yeah, he had to pay for that last one, but he got all five down, by God. Yep, yep. It's a shame that, that, that he didn't know that he would get all five because he, he tried to finish it up in four, and then he had that extra season. But yeah. uh, it would have been structured differently if he'd been able to t- breathe easy and known, known he'd had the, he had the five seasons. Absolutely. So let me ask you, as a writer, because we're starting to run down on time here, mm-hmm. um, do you prefer a long – I mean, do you prefer television as it used to be, more episodic, or do you prefer long story arcs with, with a structure beginning, middle, end kind of structure? What do yeah. you like to write? I prefer it now. I prefer it now because you have a bigger canvas and you can, like in Space Command, I sort of split the difference because you have stories that, that stories that begin and be, you have stories that begin and, and, and end within the two hours, but then they tell a larger story over the entire first season and the, and the seasons beyond. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that you can uh, you can have the best of both worlds. I think it's a, I, I prefer I prefer everything about how TV is being done now to, to how it was done when I started. There were only three networks. There were so few opportunities. And they were so uh, limiting. In terms of what you were allowed to do, so now uh, there's room for Space Command, there's room for for any number of shows, and they're and they're taking risks. I mean, I think it's terrific. And like Westworld, I thought was a great show, and uh, and that would never have been done thirty or forty years ago. Oh no, absolutely not. Um, so let me ask you this: We've only got a few minutes left, but I do like to ask people: um, What do you think of the modern environment where anybody with a camera and some gumption can? put together a TV series or a web series or a movie. Do you think that's going to help things or harm things? What are your, what are your initial thoughts on it? Well, I think it's great. I really think it's great. In fact, I've just sold a book called uh, green lighting yourself because, you know, I've raised, I've raised close to a million dollars to make space command just from the audience. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I and, and science fiction never really predicted that we would have phones in our pockets with video cameras in them. <laughs> and, no. you know, and I think it's great. I think, you know, and so whenever anyone says that, that, that they won't let him do what, you know, it's like, oh, they won't let me have my dream. They won't, won't let me make my movie or my TV show. I, I always say, well, who's they? Why? Pick up a camera, shoot it, you know, do what, make it, you know, don't don't let people stop you. I mean, I, I recently wrote a book with Guillermo del Toro. He was in Mexico. He had to build a whole infrastructure when he was starting out there. You know, if 100 people had asked him what his chance was of succeeding, 100 people would have said none. You know, but here he is with Shape of Water and this huge career. But that was because he he basically pulled you know pulled the trigger on himself. And I think anyone can do that. They just have to have the heart and the determination. That's amazing. Yeah, I, it's it's a it's a different future than what we expected. It's a little scarier than what I had hoped. But man, there's some amazing things happening and coming down the pipe. Yeah, I just want my flying car. You know, I'm a little disappointed. I don't get that. You know, right now too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm in my mid forties now. If I if they don't come out with a flying car soon, I think I'm just going to be over it. Yes. <laughs> you know, so Mark, if people want to find out more about you and your YouTube channel and the stuff you've written and all that, I mean, where where can we at least start? Because I know we can't cover it all. They can they can go to Mark M A R C Zikri Z I C R E E dot com, and for the Kickstarter campaign, they go to Kickstarter dot com and look up Space Command Redemption. Fantastic, and you do have a YouTube channel called Mister Sci-Fi. I do indeed. I've got I've got uh, I think twelve thousand subscribers, and every week I post about science fiction, movies, TV shows, and books. It's great fun. Outstanding. All right, sir. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I do really appreciate it. Thanks. I really had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're you you're a fun conversation, sir. Thank <laughs> you for uh, thank you for doing this. I'll do a quick sign off, and then we'll let you go. So. Thanks. Everybody go check out markzickery.com. Go find his Kickstarter. Throw him some money. Let's see if we can't get in a really amazing-looking Space Command Redemption episode out of this. Um, or that is the particular episode we're talking about here, anyhow. 
Uh, anyways, everybody else, check us out at geekishcast.com. You can find us at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. I am on Instagram, but usually just see pictures of beer and greyhounds on there. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's up to the viewer, I guess. Mark, thank you again. I do appreciate it, sir. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Take care. You too. And bye-bye, everybody else. Thank you for listening to Geekish Cast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio at our own website at geekishcast.com or through our network at astropandaproductions.com. Right now, we're going to let Reign of Zayas play us out without to get mine. 